chaos comes, it's a chance to be initiated. You know, thinking that the United States and its ideas in church have come closest to reflecting reality is like thinking Iceland is the basketball capital of the world. It's actually a psychological disorder. F-O-M-O. Fear of missing out. When a man becomes who he was made to be by God, every day is adventure. So how much do we tell people about how you feel right now? Little to none. They'll just have to find out. Okay. I'm Sam Eldridge, and welcome back to the Ansons Podcast. I'm Blaine, chief host. Uh, and... Uh, Today's episode Sorry for started, your ear balls there, folks. <laughs> like many episodes, with a conversation with a young guy. Yeah, so the other night I was having a conversation with a guy. He was talking about actually really connecting to some of the past podcasts we've done, uh, particularly the Acedia one. I think that's actually stirred up a lot for folks. Um, and there's just that invitation to more, to more development, to more growth, and... As he was telling me about how much he's been appreciating that and wanting to focus on that for a season and trying to figure out when it's going to work, the conversation kind of shifted to this other tone that I've had a lot. Um, and it, it goes something like this. When has enough work been done internally on the person I'm becoming that like it can be enough for a little while? Because it feels like in each new season, God is up to uncovering, excavating, building, exposing, and that doesn't seem to have an end in sight. And I've definitely experienced many seasons where um, I kind of just want to be like left alone and be allowed to be broken for a little while. Um, but there's still that, that constant invitation to, why do you do things this way? What do you think is going on under the surface? What was making you believe these certain things like that that just can get exhausting I think and I think it's a false pressure I don't think it's actually true that you're like forever in therapy the perpetual therapy thing hit a note of someone being frustrated with that recently and the first thing that comes to mind was it is interesting to me that uh in those conversations people have framed their discipleship experience entirely in individual terms like you know I am in X season and that makes sense given that we have sort of like an atomistic um, inclination in our moment where we're like meaning that we're all made up of atoms <laughs> meaning like individuals like the self you know as center of the world and like the self is like uh, oh okay the word is autonomous like an in anyway I always pronounce it autonomous I like to say it more the way I think the Greeks would say it. Um, oh, that's going to get you <laughs> some problems. Uh, Autokonomis. Um, I have no idea how the Greeks would say it, but other people would. Wearing Here's a bathrobe, that's for sure. That's how they say it. <laughs> is that people go, man, it just feels like perpetual. And going, individuals have seasons. The other thing that has seasons is communities have seasons. And it is interesting to me that uh, I do not often have people frame their discipleship experience in terms of, how are you doing? 
great. Our community is in a resting season, right? It's mm. when when it's what it's got up to. There's like a very personal answer. Instead of going, there's sort of like a center of gravity in the seasonal community of faith, aka church, that goes, oh man, things are going good. X thing is happening in our community, and the advantage of that is that like communities have, as was recently framed, calling. Sending and resting seasons. Right. So what I think is interesting about this community input is it does seem to take some of the pressure off of like you needing to have some kind of big thing having just happened. Because I, I know that as a pressure as well. And some people will be asking like, so, you know, like what has God been up to? And I'll have this moment where I'm like, God has abandoned me and my lawnmower and um, life is mundane. So I really would rather you didn't ask me that question right now and I could give you a better one. And instead, if I didn't have to like get sucked all the way down into a moment like that, because that really is just the response out of a frustrating moment, which may or may not have happened yesterday. Um, the, the community thing does pull us out of the um, Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth a living which then kind of turns into a microscope and I begin to feel like an ant in the sun or I'm like, I don't know how much I'm supposed to examine all of this. Like, I think if I do have too much introspection and I'm not processing that helpfully, that can actually be uh, really detrimental. Uh, it's helpful to root ourselves in wider context. For the, for the most part, in like a family, you still end up getting split out, right? Like if you're talking about your, the community that is your home, often we tend to pull out one person or another to focus on, right? So how, how, what's going on in there? Like, well, so-and-so is having a really tough season or, you know, the kids are bop, 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 bop. And it's, it's still not like a communal direction. It's just a, a bigger group of people to choose from. So I'm back to this holiness. Why does it feel like there's always an ask for more? And why does that feel so hard? The verses that come to mind so often in like longing for me oh there the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places Psalm and, 19 and it leads me beside still waters he restores my soul which is psalm 20 23 23 he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul like those actually sound like very kind seasons so therefore god must not just be like the ultimate therapist who's just intent on digging around and finding new wounded places to heal. He's actually very kind. And so when he's bringing things forward, it's for our good rather than some masochistic healer who wants to just keep rooting out all of like the dark, scared places I have ferreted away and don't want to be brought out. So when I look at those verses, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. If boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places and you are restoring my soul... If those are true, then might my posture towards the next season of work that God wants to do be different rather than dreaded and fought against? Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know if you've said yet, what did you say when you were asked, does this just keep happening forever? Yeah, well, the thing is, is I was asking it as well, right? Because it's something that really resonates with me of like, oh, 
why is it that when I hear most recently this, these bits on acedia and the ways that I know I am trying to medicate beyond the point of what is a season of rest or of feasting. Like there are things that I know are medication and a lot of them are on my smartphone <laughs> and just having Netflix on there. It's like, ugh, it's so unhelpful. And so it got brought up again and that there was an invitation to more growth. I think in that moment, it actually felt very like topical, very seasonal. It wasn't like this. Now we have to deal with all of your problems. Our conversation was, this feels very timely. This feels very appropriate. And I, I'm aware enough of the stirrings of my own heart and my own soul to go, oh, I'm having a very interesting reaction to this. The Holy Spirit must be up to something. Because there's the, the reaction where you go, oh, wow, that's cool. And then there's the reaction where you go, oh, huh. I wonder, I hope not, but maybe, and that's a, that's a very different kind of reaction. And I've learned to kind of hold on to those thoughts a little bit longer, even if those rocks actually are kind of hot coals and it's going to be painful. Yeah. A few other observations that come right away. One is... When I have identified with that feeling, the life of the disciple is just one thing after another. One of the things that I miss is that there is a narrative arc to the story God is telling and that we are situated at a discernible moment inside that narrative. It's not perpetual tinkering, but it's kind of the, if you were to look at history and say, it's just one thing after another, as has been famously misattributed uh, over and over and over again. Uh, but to go, history is just one thing after another. Kind of go, no. It, actually, if you're like holding up Jesus as the focal point of history, suddenly you actually you have a narrative on the other side where you have a beginning, uh, a middle, and an end, and then a foreshadowed future. The other thing that comes to mind is it is easy in our discipleship lives to emphasize transformation over celebration. We recently did a podcast on asceticism being sort of uh, the austere counterpoint to feasting and celebration in a rhythm of fasting and feasting. Right. But, I, but you can plug transformation into that as well. And you can go, uh, there are seasons of intense change and, or even you can look at this in a single day. There are moments of intense change that are meant to be juxtaposed with moments of, uh, relief and Sabbath. And it is too easy to not do those. Okay. So here's something interesting. There's been a bunch of psychological studies done on, uh, the addictive state of chaos and turmoil. Oh, um, people that you know that are always dramatic. There's, there's always something going on. And this is like a helpful distinction between God is doing soul work in you and it can feel exhausting and like, why am I still in this? And then there's the, I, I am always working. I'm always having stuff being done. There's always some drama. You're actually always in this state of 
like high tension that can be addictive on the one hand. It also can be an indication that to slow down is not safe and that the space where when you are no longer dramatic, when life just is rather than is a sitcom, it needs to be one little drama after the next. That is a, a space that people don't know what that's going to be like, that it's not going to go well, that it, all of those things. And so to that person, you kind of go like, well, what would you do in a season of like celebration? Actually, can you let go of the crisis for a little while? And to the person who may not be all the way dialed up to 10, but who's always having some work done or some massive revelation, there's kind of this, I've, I, I'm thinking of a person back in college, actually. There was a moment where I wanted to be like, stop having these massive revelations and actually like live in one of them for a while. Yes. Is it actually sustainable? Does this new way of understanding God and yourself and your past actually have fallout? Does it have tove in it? Is it does it have good works? Are you a better person? Are you closer to Jesus? Or do you just need the next thing like there's clearly all of this nuance here because there's the person I'd said is dialed up to 10 they're like addicted to kind of the drama there's a person who's maybe like a five and they're sort of addicted to the new thing and then there's me oh I like to imagine it's kind of a one on the scale I can I'd be in those seasons of like can I not do more soul work and and there's actually a, a response that you're naming here but maybe you are meant to be in a season of feasting rather than working. Like those are rhythmic. They're meant to be there. Yeah, that chaos thing is so disturbing. That chaos is addictive. That crisis is addictive. Even in a community, there's a reality. Uh, this is again recently, I'm going to name drop him. There was just a a teacher by the name of David Akata who was talking about inside the formation of a church culture, the stories we tell point to the things that we value and people will reproduce the stories that we tell, especially when you're making disciples. So when the only stories you tell are, I confronted X thing in my heart, you are saying what we value in this community is confronting a thing in our heart. That's not necessarily the same as the formation of Jesus in someone. That's saying like we like uncovering, sleuthing out areas of unbelief. And you can inadvertently frame uh, a situation where what you value is a kind of witch hunt of transformation. One way out of that is, do you often tell stories of celebration? And here's another interesting one. Uh, Do any of your conversational habits indicate that effort matters to you. It was in this same class setting with David after he had talked about stories where he goes, when someone's talking about a little progress that they've made, have you developed the habit and the acuity to go, wow, man, I just want to acknowledge how hard it must have been to hang in there with that conversation with your parents, way to go. And then the conversation moves on. I very rarely do that, but... On the micro level in this, it's fascinating to think of what does it look like to build habits that say we are not perpetual tinkerers. One of those habits is being someone who sees 
partial work and still just wants to name and call attention to it, you can do this in any story, right? Well, I, yeah, I mean, it's so good. And I feel the tension between we are working out towards holiness, but we are also worth redeeming and saving. And so you end up with these like two choices, this false dichotomy of you are either not good enough all the way to heaven, whatever miles you put in, whatever healing you receive, whatever growth you go through, that's good, but it's not enough. And you're never going to be who you're meant to be. And like, if that's the narrative, I don't want to take that path because I'm never going to be who I was meant to be. Like, can I be even a sliver of that now? Can I walk that out as a father, as a, as a business owner, as a husband? Like, I want that. I want to, and if I can't have any of it, then what's the point? And then the flip side, there's that you are worth redeeming. You're worth saving. You are worth dying for going to the cross for. I've been been in so many services where they will really hammer in like that Jesus died for you, you just not all of you, but like you personally, you. And I'm like, I just feel bad now. You're, I mean, I know, but I don't want to just stay in who I am now. There is a a CS Lewis piece on the continuity of the story of like present earth to future kingdom to future earth. And he said that the idea that somehow there's this, that you are fine when you arrive, that there's not continued holiness and growth is a little bit like showing up and being kind of dirty and not all put together and God being like, you're okay, come to the feast. And his reaction was, well, can I get cleaned up a little bit first? Like I I do have more I want to do. And actually I liked that because it breaks the false dichotomy that I feel like I operate with, right? Of either I always have more work and I'm never good enough, or I'm totally fine now because Christ has died for me and that's kind of all done. And I don't need to do works to justify it, but works are sort of a, a natural reaction. Um, I just get like all tied up in that. And so to go like, let's just pause you right here and say, let's celebrate the growth you've made and you are now the man you are meant to be and you are becoming more of that man year by year and that's good and it's not this terrible choice between the two. Yes. It feels like the identity that we talk about of the apprentice nails the narrow straits between the Scylla and Charybdis of those two options where celebrating that you are glorious all the time ignores real areas of need where you are suffering uh, because we have places in our stories that are yet to be addressed by God. Saying that you are completely a work in progress says that we're perpetually tinkering, which ignores the reality that our rescue is something that's complete, that our eternal life is something we're living now. Guys, go ahead and like just hit rewind 10 seconds and listen to that again. That's, that's the whole podcast in a nutshell. But here we go. One of the practices we're talking about here that avoids the pitfall of perpetual tinkering is do we do a good job of honoring and celebrating? Next time you are with, especially let's say you're in a small group context or next time you know, the, you're with some people that you meet up with regularly, take 60 seconds and have everybody, guys, take out your phone. I want you to write 
three things down that you had to do in order to get here. That's it. Just to get here. Where is here? To to this moment. The room that you're in okay. with people that you meet with on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Then even though they will just read them to you, look at their list and honor or commend or acknowledge it. Just as an example, Sam, what did you have to do in order to show up in this podcast studio ready to go? It actually was not easy. There was a mixture of pressure and performance mingled with inadequacy and distraction, um, emails and calls trying to get me, and I think some false truths telling me that it's just not worth it. Yeah, that is huge. I just want to honor the reality that you had to work through a lot of opposition, a lot of noise and email, and even work through like a false story in order to be here. Thank you for doing that. You're welcome. Did you feel anything during that? I felt all tingly I'm and, a little, and a little embarrassed. <laughs> it's, even when I've, I've practiced this, something happens in my heart. You know, for me, let's, let's switch. To get here, I literally, in the 10 minutes before the podcast, had to work through a significant downturn in a project that might not be recoverable and make the choice to talk out with you and turn the corner so that we could record a podcast that we had scheduled. Yeah. Way to push through that plane. You're doing a very good job of being present, knowing that a project has taken a lot of time may be irrecoverable. Thank you. It actually feels good. It's like a real thing, a need for the heart. Uh, all right, next thing on this, really fascinating. Em and I have a really, a really cool neighbor. One of the things that she does in her profession, uh, she gets hired by the military, and it's sort of the be more human, you will be better at what you do part of work. And she trains soldiers in celebrating people. And she's like, listen, one of the great destroyers of relationships, destroyers over time, is the failure to rejoice with those who rejoice. And we're sitting at dinner. It was so interesting. <laughs> she was like, so this is what it, I, I don't know if her, if she was referencing the love lab or some other body of relational research, but she was explaining that bring good news to someone. I'm sorry. The love lab is a thing. Yeah, it's in Washington. And I'm never gonna Google. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's probably pretty safe to Google the love lab. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Now. There's a TED talk about it. Oh, okay. Anyway, uh, it's relational research. Why do marriages fail? Uh, do those track onto intimate friendships? Yes. And this is I'm a nutshell for you. Evidently, you can boil every response down into one of four responses. Only one is good. And the first one, come up with a fake good news because these are, if it's real good news, it'll be actually disappointing. I have fake good news for you, Blaine. Okay. Uh, let's do the four. Okay. Give me your fake good news. Uh, there's a brand new Tesla waiting for you outside. Oh, cool. Okay. So number Wait, one, what? nothing. It's just cool. Huh. Hey, man, I just had such a good day. Cool. Right. Okay, uh, just so it's just ignoring. Number two, give me give me some more fake good news. Yeah, it's the same okay. Tesla. I don't feel like you've responded appropriately. Okay. Like All I right. said, freaking Tesla. 
bro. Oh, that's so cool. I just got a road bike. Man, I've been loving it. I've Why been are you talking about day. something else? Okay, see? So number two, make it about yourself. One, ignore. Two. Two um, feels all like ignoring as well. It's the kind of all, it's either ignoring or embracing. Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. What's number three? All right, ready? Hit, hit me with it again. I have some wonderful news for you, Blaine. Yeah, what is it? Jetpacks are real and you can buy one. Oh, are you sure? That sounds really dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure? Do you, have they been tested? This feels a little like rejection, like you're not entering into what could be very exciting. Yeah, she framed this one as Joy Thief, uh, which was <laughs> someone comes to you and it's like, oh, are you sure that's a good, but yeah. Oh, but have you done this other yeah, thing that you're supposed to do? Yeah, people are bummers. I'm not going to hang around that kind of person. Yeah. I just finished my article. Did you do the, did, did you do the design? Um, okay. Womp womp. Here's the one good one. All yeah, right. give me the one good one. Give me a give me a piece of news. I have a warm Chipotle burrito waiting for you downstairs. No way. When did you go to Chipotle? I don't know. Disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, but it's like the one way that builds relationship when someone brings you good news is to actually engage it. Surprise! Voila! Turns out people are really bad at reacting to anything. Okay, I'm going to throw a friend under the bus here. You know who you are. Um, I won't say who they are. Wait, but that's not throwing them under the bus. But they know who say. they are. This is not you, Josh. Usually when I say a friend, I'm referencing a person whose first name is Josh. Uh, wow. But he only has one friend. I have a lot of friends. <laughs> I have, you just don't know them. But I was recently going, I was like, hey... My younger brother came over. We watched Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse in my shed, which you might have read about in the second issue of Ansons. And it was the best movie watching experience. Like we were handing a cigar back and forth because it's a shed and like everything about it. Mm -hmm. And then, but he follows up with like, oh, dude, uh, <laughs> my, you know, it's an awesome movie watching place. My new office. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's happening right now. Now, fortunately, in this example, that person is like an incredibly gracious relator, so it's this outlier. Yeah. But I keyed in on it because I'd just been thinking about it. Okay. You want me to relate to that? Hey, I thought the three of us were supposed to watch that movie together and have kind of a guy's night. So when you called me asking for the Netflix password so the two of you could watch it by yourselves, that was a, a bit of a surprise. Is this the what what which is this the joy thief? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it might be the joy thief. Wasn't I supposed to be there? <clears throat> Anywho. You were busy, um, <laughs> is what I thought. But now on the air, I'm realizing maybe you weren't busy. <laughs> right? So being able to enter and enjoy is actually not as easy as we think. Maybe that's why we're so bad at sitting in seasons of celebrating actually where we've come from. Yeah, or why we feel like it's perpetual tinkering. But don't you think... Then you like see a theme going on in the Old Testament where people are like building these monuments and sometimes they're just piles of rocks because it's like, we need to remember, we are going to forget, this is where we came from, this is what's been done, this is already amazing, and from here we're going to start the next chapter. And you're like, oh, that actually feels like a pretty good rhythm in naming and declaring what's been done because then you actually get to like step into what's coming from a place of orientation and growth and this new piece of identity. And you're like, I am not the man. This is very personal. This isn't for you. This is for me. I am not the man that I was five years ago. I'm not the man that I was one year ago. I'm the man I was six months ago. Uh, there's a little disappointment there, but that's fine. Um, no, I've been training. I am not the man I was six months ago. 
And those places actually give me a very different posture of stepping into what may be an invitation for more growth. It's not perpetual tinkering. It's learning how to actually celebrate and pause and identify those things, those the monuments of where we've come from so that I can now step into where I'm, where I'm going. And maybe it's a season of just walking in the growth. That's totally appropriate. That's not saying that I think I've got it all done. Although I'm, I'm sure I'm honing in on probably the last 90, I'm at like, I'm at like 90 the last percent. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm really close. And then I'll just be swept off to heaven in a chariot. You just wait for that. <laughs> that practice sounds really hopeful. How would you do it? Because, you know, an Ebenezer is literally a rock pile. Are, you, are we telling people to go make rock piles? No, sometimes, yes. Um, but that's also a little bit of what you were suggesting just now as well, of like learning how to hear good news about what someone's been up to, what someone's done, and celebrate it. That's a little... Uh, interaction Ebenezer like that is that's helpful though it's not quite as substantive I think it's gonna be super personal right because depending on what God's been up to maybe like you actually do need to journal and like get some of those thoughts down we have lots of practices of writing things out on paper and putting them on mirrors I've got a slew of things I've got taped on my office window there have been times where it's on our chalkboard in our kitchen like they're really they're helpful mm-hmm and they get stolen really easily. And this is my like push for, it, it, it needs to scale. It needs to be appropriate. If this was like a season of like real trial, then there needs to be a season of real joy and feasting. Not that it, you have to feast to offset that because the victory has already been won, but because you actually, you actually should saturate yourself in goodness for a while and Lord will lead you by still waters and restore your soul. Like that is the invitation. And so it's scalable because like how much have you been drained? How much, how much, what are you, what are you celebrating? What needs, what's been done? And that's a better question than just shifting straight to, okay, now what next? And so all the way back to the beginning of this conversation, I'm thinking about the, the guy I was chatting with the other night and I'm like, I think I felt exhausted because I've been doing different work already and new work is resonating and I don't feel the go ahead to enter into new work without there being something in between. Wow. That's so good. I feel like just a few more practical examples. As you were talking, one of the things that I noticed is uh, that this has levels. When we finish a triathlon, a race, an athletic achievement, we don't throw a party, but we don't go straight home. If we are anywhere near the Avery Brewery, we get there and usually we haven't been drinking up to the race and like we just have this feast. Uh, and it's small, but it has the elements of tradition built in of, no, after a great athletic performance, like, you, you should not just get in your car and drive home and jump into the next thing. When a friend in our community has, uh, is, like, going through some life change on, like, the big side, when a friend had his uh, second baby, uh, when, a, when a young man we kind of felt was, like, stepping up in his role in the, in the community, one that we're playing right now is like when someone has a new job one of our go-to's is 
we have a culture of like the shed night, and it's my shed, and it's cigars, and it's mezcal or good bourbon, mezcal, and it's celebration, and then it's like some words mm-hmm. and prayer and blessing. Like this celebration is a communal act. The people around you are the ones who raise the Ebenezer with you, name what has been done, affirm it, and then bless you into the new season. And I think a great invitation in our life as disciples is we get to build our cultures of celebration and we get to build what people are expecting and looking forward to. I remember that because there were thresholds growing up, after I had kind of like turned 18 and certainly after I became married, I was a little like, oh man, I'm not looking forward to like the next uh, threshold celebration until I realized years in that that's actually something you do with God and something that you build communally. So there's kind of the fun question to sit with of how will you celebrate? What is your affirming work that has been done practice going to be? 